Welcome everyone. Here we talk all things true crime, and if you're interested in true crime, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to my channel to help me out. I post new videos every Monday and Wednesday, so make sure that you come back weekly. First, I want to say sorry for going MIA on you all. I have been asked a lot by everyone of my followers when my next episode will be posted. So, here we are. Back to more episodes, hopefully every Monday and Wednesday, to make up for the lost time. I truly believe the reason for my disappearance was due to my YouTube channel. So moving forward, the YouTube channel will be deleted um, and not. I won't be posting to that. It was a lot of work and out of my comfort zone I found. And the podcast, I feel more in my zone. So until I have more time on my hands to provide the best detail and edits for each video on my YouTube channel and I am actually able to feel comfortable doing it, um, we will just be on the podcast for True Crime Pillow Talk. Um, I hope you all understand this change um, and thank you all for the continued support. It is greatly appreciated. Let's get on to today's case. Listener discretion is advised as we will be talking about abuse and a child murder in this case. Today's case will be discussing Maddie Clifton. She lived at home with her mother Sheila, her father Steve, and her sister Jessie. Maddie was the youngest of two children, Maddie being eight years old and her sister Jessie was 11. On November 3rd, 1998, election day, Maddie Clifton disappeared in Jacksonville, Florida. Maddie had just come home from school and was playing the piano as she normally did until her mother, Sheila, got home. She returned from voting around four, five-ish, and then at around 5.30, Maddie went outside to play with her sister, Jessie, and the other kids in the neighborhood as she normally does. At approximately 6.20 p.m., Sheila called outside for the girls to come in for dinner, and to her surprise, Maddie had not arrived, but Jessie did. Sheila asked the nearby neighbors if they saw Maddie and to help her look for Maddie as she was nowhere be where to be found, and Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, JSO, was then called at 6.33 p.m. Hundreds of volunteers were out looking for Maddie, but she did not turn up. Thousands of flyers were handed out and hung up around the area in hopes to find Maddie. Steve and Sheila, Maddie's parents, appealed for information and the media covered the disappearance extensively. The police were talking to all the neighbors and some of the nearby neighbors got questioned numerous times. Just seven days later, on November 10th, 1998, the street was lined with police officers and media to cover a news broadcast done by the parents. This is when Missy Phillips came running out of her home, calling for the police that she found a body. Missy was cleaning her 14-year-old son Joshua Phillips' room when she noticed a foul smell. She started picking up all of his clothes and noticing all the air fresheners and incense that were burning in Josh's room that he had placed there. After cleaning up all the clothes, she still noticed the god-awful smell, as she stated, 
and she decided to check under his waterbed. Just to note, for anyone who doesn't know, a waterbed has a, um, so the mattress, instead of it being foam or like memory foam and stuff like that, or having springs in it, is obviously filled with water, um, and it goes on a, um, wooden base, and inside of the wooden base, they normally used to have X's down the middle of the wooden frame inside of it to help hold the waterbed up but to also allow for it to have a uh, move freely. So it was stated that she looked, she decided to check under his water, well, his waterbed and underneath it. And this is when she noticed that there was a leak coming from the waterbed. She thought that the leak was causing mildew or mold in the carpet. So she decided to look under the bed. And this is when she noticed that the bed had been duct taped. And when she took the duct tape off and pulled the, pulled the wood back, this is when she found a human. She saw feet hanging out the um, wood base of the waterbed. Maddie Clifton was the body she found. Maddie was halfway unclothed, stabbed, beaten, and stuffed under Joshua Phillips's bed. Joshua Earl Patrick Phillips was born March 17, 1984, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, to Steve and Melissa, also known as Missy, Phillips. It's said that Steve was a drug addict and an alcoholic, and he was very abusive to both Missy and Josh. Josh had stick rule, uh, had strict rules he was to follow, and one of them was no children were allowed in the home when his parents were not around or not home. It's noted that Steve disliked young girls, and Missy stated, quote, I never understood why my husband disliked girls, end quote. Josh was in school when Maddie's body was found, so the police went to his school and cuffed him in the classroom in front of his peers for the murder and disappearance of Maddie Clifton. Joshua Phillips confessed to the murder of Maddie and was charged with first-degree murder instantly. Even though he was 14 years old, he was tried as an adult due to the heinous nature of this crime. And in 1998, first-degree murder was an automatic life sentence. But due to his age, he was too young to receive the death penalty. This murder was the first time Joshua had ever been in trouble. His peers and family noted that Joshua was normally spending time with his dog and or on his computer. Joshua lived, in, lived across the street from, Matt, from the Cliftons, and on November 3rd, 1998, the story is Maddie ran over to his home to ask him if he could come outside and play baseball in his backyard. His parents were not home, and he knew the rule was no one allowed over until they got there, but he decided to go outside and play anyways. While playing baseball, he accidentally hit Maddie in the eye with the baseball, which caused her to bleed and scream, and she was crying. Joshua freaked out knowing his father was going to be home soon, so he decided to drag Maddie's body inside of his house. He stated that this is when the bottom half of her clothes came off, and after he got into his room, she wouldn't stop screaming and crying, so he decided to hit her again across the head with the baseball bat. He then shoved her under his mattress, 
and this is when Steve, Joshua's dad, came home, and he and Joshua sat and hung out for a few before he returned to his room. Once Joshua got to his room, he could hear Maddie moaning in pain, and this is when he decided to cut her throat and stab her in her chest seven times. With a knife from a Leatherman tool, and this is what eventually killed her. The night of the disappearance, Maddie was reported missing around 5 o'clock p.m. November 3rd, and during the seven days of her missing, Joshua was one amongst hundreds that was out searching for her. He told police, quote, I was putting myself in a fantasy world that nothing had happened. That was my defense mechanism for everything when I was a kid. I never made the decision to ignore it. I just did, end quote. The state attorney made it clear that he believed that this murder was sexually motivated as he had talks with both Maddie and Jesse about sexual relations. But the autopsy showed no sign of sexual assault and prosecutors argued the lack of dirt and sand on Clifton's body did not align with the story of Joshua dragging Maddie's body into the home, causing her clothes to come off. Before the trial began, it was noted that this case received an extreme amount of attention on the news media, which caused the trial to be moved to Polk County, Florida, instead of Duval County, to give Joshua a, quote, fair, unquote, trial. July 6, 1999, the trial started and lasted only two days. This was because the defense did not call any witnesses to help Joshua in this case, and he also did not testify. Jurors took a little bit over two hours to convict Joshua of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole at Taylor Annex, a prison in Perry, Florida, in Taylor County. Joshua went on to complete his GED in prison and eventually completed some college classes as well. Currently, he is working as a paralegal in prison and helping fellow inmates with their appeals and tutoring them as well. He participates in a band as a guitar player, in Christian religious services, and he does yoga. In 2002, the Florida 2nd District Court of Appeal upheld his conviction and in, ni- in 2009, Melissa Phillips, also known as Missy, began to seek a new trial for her son. She said his young age at the time of the murder should have carried more weight in his sentence. In November 2005, the Supreme Court of Florida put a hearing in place to discuss a new trial. In 2008, Harry Storston I don't know how to pronounce that. I believe that's what it is. A sheriff in Sheriff Nat Glover, a 14-year-old. I'm sorry. In 2008, Harry and Sheriff Nat Glover, two officials came forward and stated that they had second thoughts about giving a life sentence to a 14-year-old. Harry stated he wished he'd given Joshua a second-degree murder plea instead, and in September 2016, Joshua's attorneys successfully appealed the court, and he was granted a new hearing, which took place in November 2017. Phillips was resentenced to life in prison, but is now eligible for parole next year in 2023. I do want to say I am very grateful that Missy... Joshua's mom um, did not try to cover up Maddie's murder to protect her son um, in that she ran out to police instantly 
Um, it happened to be the police officer that was looking over the Clifton's home during um, this time uh, so that if Maddie did come back home, there was an officer there to help. Um, and it was also during the time of a news broadcast as well. Um, so I, I will say I commend her for doing that. Um, a lot of moms hide what their kids do, um, because they're scared that they might lose their child or that they can, their child's going to change or their child might be too young at the time. And this is why they did that. They didn't have a good upbringing or whatever the cause may be, but Missy took it upon herself to make sure that her son was held liable for his actions. And, um, although she did help him get a new sentencing, um, that took place in 2017, um, and he's now eligible for parole in 2023, um, it is kind of scary, but hopefully he is a changed person and has grown from his mistakes. Um, so yeah, thank you all for tuning in to another True Crime Pillow Talk case. I greatly appreciate you all, and I hope to have a video up on Wednesday and moving forward Mondays and Wednesdays should be the days that I have cases. Thank you all again, and that's all. Bye.